0: And over the last few weeks, we've heard uh, this incredible picture from uh, Tommy Oibodejo about uh, uh, G- the God the Father giving us his lamb, his spotless lamb, who went through the, uh, the trial and nothing could be found uh, to be guilty. No guilt was found in him. And then last week we heard from Tom uh, about Jesus on the cross And it's a shame, in a way, to only be able to give one week to each of these incredible subjects. Uh, But we heard about how do we respond to Jesus on the cross? In his glory, king of heaven, dying for me. How do we respond to this? Well, we left last week with Jesus on the cross. And uh, the truth is, even Paul says, "If, if that's the end of the story, we're to be pitied above all people. Because what we come to on the Sunday is where Jesus bursts forth, is the glory of heaven opened. On Sunday, in the dark and dingy tomb, just outside of Jerusalem, 2,000 odd years ago, was this sound. <sighs> and the Son of God' heart starts to beat again. He started to breathe again. His lungs filled with oxygen. And he defeated death, and he defeated sin, and the victory was secured in Jesus Christ. What we're speaking about today is new life, resurrection life in Jesus Christ. It's our victory that we claim. You might be excited about 4-0 last night, but victory in Jesus, blast that out of the water. It is our perspective as Christians. And today we're going to speak about the reality of the resurrection, the achievements of the re- resurrection, And the application of the resurrection. This is so significant today. I hope that as you're sitting listening today you will grasp something that maybe you had forgotten. Maybe you had loosened your grip on. Maybe you've never understood. But I hope and pray that this morning God will reveal something to you which will help you to stand strong. And have the perspective that he wants you to have. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24, verse 1 to 12, and then we are going to uh, pray, and then we'll get into it. I need to have my Bible in the right place. Here we have. Okay. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the sp- spices they had prepared, and they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified? And he went home marveling at what had happened. Father, we just want to uh, call upon you this this afternoon for your presence among us as we uh, think and ponder on this story, as we try to understand the relevance of it to our lives. Lord, I pray, please open our eyes. I pray, please soften our hearts. Please help us to grasp what we need to grasp this morning because it truly is world-changing, life-changing life changing What you have done. So Father I pray set captives free this morning. As is your agenda. As you said the spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon you. To preach good news to the poor. To release those in bondage. To bind up brokenhearted, to To give sight to the blind. I pray do it this morning Lord as is your will in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So what an incredible opportunity and privilege it is for me this morning to be able to speak on such a perspective altering, uh, life altering, reorientating (laughs) uh, revelation of what God has done in time and space, in our history. We need a correct perspective. We need to get things right in our mind to be able to live a life that God wants us to live. You know that if you've got your perspective wrong, you can be all over the place uh, with your decisions and with your uh, peace and with your joy. You could see an England player uh, do a good pass and start thinking, football's coming home. It's quite out of perspective, really. What about, uh, you you might be living in total fear because you might think a virus is literally hunting you down. It knows your phone number. It knows your door number. It knows where to find you as soon as your mask is off. When we get things skewed in perspective, we can leave either uh, in ignorance or fear, in vain optimism or terror, it's true that there are big mountains of joy. There are things we should anticipate. There are things that we should be joyful about. And there are real valleys of difficulty. But for the Christian, there's always a greater perspective. There really must be a, a greater foundation for us than just being thrown about by every wind of doctrine, everything that we come across, everything that we, we just feel a certain way or, or we just hope a certain thing and, and, and we just go by optimism or pessimism or how we feel that week or what kind of week we've had. And God wants us to have a correct perspective. And the perspective that Christianity was founded upon in the New Testament, if you look through the book of Acts, the, the perspective that the church was built upon was the perspective that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's what changed everything for them. That the Son of God who had been killed, that wouldn't matter. Lots of men have died. Lots of men may have died for good causes. But it would be void of power. It would be void of of, uh, meaning. uh, But for Jesus Christ who rose back to life, securing what he had claimed he would secure. Our outlook must also be as the early church's outlook was. Our foundation must be, as the early church was, if we are really going to call ourselves authentic Christians. It's easy in our day and age to get very liberal with these things and say, I don't really know if the resurrection really matters that much. Uh, Whatever it was, the church started somehow. No, that doesn't make any sense. It's unbelief. The Bible says he rose again. That's what the church was born out of. We must hold firm to the supernatural intervention of God in our lives. It will have an impact as we're going to look. It will have an impact on our lives. First thing we'll look at the reality of the resurrection. There's a book called Raised with Christ, which I'd recommend by a man called Adrian Warnock. And he says this, a Christian is someone who believes in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and lives in light of the implications of that event. You, you can't really be a Christian If you don't believe in the physical resurrection of the man, Jesus Christ. If we look at the way Luke records this story in our passage, we we notice that as Luke has done all the way through, he's he's not explaining many things. He doesn't really explain this. He doesn't um, exegete this. He doesn't offer up reasons. He just tells facts. He just tells what He has been reported to him as he has gone researching. Remember when we started this series 14 years ago, we remember that we said at the beginning, Luke said to Theophilus, I write these things so that uh, I write an orderly account that the reader may have certainty concerning the gospel. He's trying to just tell Theophilus, the things you have heard concerning Jesus Christ, I've researched them to make sure that you know that they're accurate. Luke is not trying to uh, explain anything here. He's just trying to tell accurate history. So we know that Luke's goal is not so much to interpret the meaning of the resurrection for us, but just to establish its reality in time and space. It's a historic event established on the basis of solid eyewitness testimony. And you may be here this morning thinking, Do Christians really believe that? I thought it was a metaphor. I thought it was all about, you know, turn over a new leaf. Have a second chance. I thought it was about, you know, trying harder. No, our whole belief system is founded on the belief that a real man died to pay the cost of human sin and rebellion and rose again from death. To be a walking, talking, eating, breathing man. Alive again. And what's more, alive forevermore. That's what we believe in. A man who rose from death, defeating and conquering death. And who is alive forevermore. Gary Habermas, a professor of apologetics and philosophy and one of the world's foremost scholars on the resurrection. He gives a number of uh, historical facts that even those who wouldn't believe that Jesus was God would say these are undeniable facts. Undeniable facts. So we're just going to look at uh, eight of those. Um, Just for your interest to help you to understand, particularly if you're here today, to say, what's the evidence for the resurrection? Well, let's just have a look at some of the things that are historically undeniable. Number one, a man named Jesus of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, died by crucifixion. Number two, he was buried. These are facts. Number three, Jesus' death caused the disciples to despair and lose hope Believing that his life was ended. It's very interesting to think that through. There was a response from them. They thought this has really happened. We've seen this man die. We've seen him be buried in a tomb. We don't know what to do with ourselves because we thought he was going to be the Messiah. They had a reaction. They, had, um, uh, uh, they were in despair. They lost hope. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Number four, very soon afterwards, his followers had, a re, had real experiences that they believed were actual appearances of, risen, of the risen Jesus. Now, his, historians can't say whether they were right or not, but they can say it's clear that they believed they were right. Number five, that their lives were transformed as a result. Even to the point of being willing to die specifically for their faith in that resurrection message. That is strong evidence. Very persuasive to me. That these men were so persuaded that Jesus had risen that they were willing to be persecuted and die. I'll come on to that more in a minute. Number six, that these things were taught very early. Soon after the crucifixion, the word was spread. This was the message getting around there. Jesus Christ, whom you killed, um, Peter says to to the crowd, he rose from death. This was the story going around. We know that we do have the Messiah. He beat death. He beat sin. He overcame. He rose from the dead. This was a story going around. It was taught very early. The significance of that is very early. Well, then people could have denied it. They could have said, no, let's get his body out of the tomb. There it is. Or people could have said, no, look, you're trying to say his body. um, You know, there could have been, people could easily have denied it. Number seven, that James, Jesus' unbelieving brother, became a Christian due to his own experience that he thought was the resurrected Christ. That is massive, isn't it? That this man who grew up with Jesus as his brother, who would have seen him In his humanity, he would have seen, he could have easily thought, well, I know he's not the Messiah. I've seen him say and do terrible things. I've seen him be sinful. No, this man who who knew his brother was something else, but hadn't yet become a believer that he was the Messiah. After the resurrection, he became a believer in the resurrected Christ. And not only that, he became a leading figure in the church. And history tells us that he was stoned to death for his faith. And then eight, that the Christian persecutor Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, also became a believer after a similar experience. A man who hated the church. A man who was uh, mocking the church and, and killing Christians. Had, had a 180 and totally gave himself to God. These are extraordinarily persuasive to me. That the early church and the disciples were so convinced of Jesus' resurrection that they were willing to endure terrible persecution. They were willing to go to their deaths because they held to this belief. And they weren't thwarted from spreading this news when they so easily could have just stopped when the persecution came. They could have so easily just been quiet. They could have recanted. They could have said, no, it was just a lie. Just don't kill me. Don't hurt me. It's not worth it. But no, many Christians in the early church went to their deaths proclaiming a risen king a risen Jesus they were convinced enough to die for the truth so where are you on this scale I think there is a scale I think there is a scale of I believe totally or not at all and I do think that on the scale the the, the greater you believe it will have an impact on your joy On your peace. It will have an impact on your courage. To know Jesus Christ rose. Something changed. He broke something. He changed everything. It will have an impact on your faith. On the maturity of your Christ likeness. It's not just a set of morals. Not just teachings that we hold to. But something came into our time and space. And changed everything. Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to... Stand on the implications of it. Because there are implications. There were achievements in the resurrection. Christ achieved things. when he, he, said, he said, didn't he? No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the authority to pick it back up again. And in that authority, he changed the world. There are achievements that he fought for and won. Number two, the achievements of the resurrection. 1 Peter 1, three says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are achievements. There are implications through the resurrection. Peter's saying he's caused us to be born again. Many of us might say, I can't help the way I am. It's the way I was born. Jesus said, well, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must understand Jesus Christ rose from dead, so you don't have to live in, oh, I can't help it. That's just who I am. You can live in new life in him. I just said that the disciples were convinced enough to die for the truth of the resurrection, but there's way more to it. Than just that they were convinced and then stoically marching to their deaths because they were so impressed that Jesus rose again. It wasn't just, wow, if he's that powerful, then we can die for him. No, they understood the implications of his death. That's what caused them to say, we will go to our deaths. We understand that we have been given resurrection life, we don't fear death anymore. Because he has given us resurrection that we can now stand in. They lived in resurrection life. It wasn't just a set of, oh, okay, there's some theological, theological things we need to understand. No, they started to understand. This has happened, now we'll stand in it, we'll live in it, we'll walk in it. And the freedom and joy that came to them was astounding. John Calvin says this about the, the achievements of the resurrection. He says this, by his death, sin was taken away. Sin was taken. By his resurrection, righteousness was renewed and restored. Righteousness being our right standing with God, that was broken by our sin. By the resurrection, that was given back to us. It was restored. Our relationship with God was given back. For how could he, Jesus, by dying, have freed us from death if he had yielded to its power? How could Jesus help anyone if he, how could he overcome death if he can't overcome it? How could he have obtained the victory for us if he had fallen in the contest? Our salvation may be that is divided between the death and the resurrection of Christ. So it's both these things together, he's saying. (laughs) By the former, sin was abolished and death annihilated. By the latter, righteousness was restored and life revived. The power and efficacy of the former being still bestowed upon us By means of the latter. That means, he's saying, that the power of what the cross accomplished was sealed and delivered by the resurrection. The cross was a glorious thing. The king of heaven being humble enough to be treated like nothing you would ever want anything to be treated like. Glorious thing that he would do for us. But the power of that was bestowed upon us. It was sealed. It was delivered by the resurrection. In Romans 4, Paul says that Jesus was raised for our justification. Jesus was raised so that we would be just before God. So that we would have no guilt anymore. That a just God would have nothing to aim at us anymore. It had been taken out on his son and he was raised so that we would be justified. When the father raised Jesus from death, he was affirming Jesus' work on our behalf. He was saying, Yes, I have seen what you've brought me. The sacrifice is good. Now you may go. He was demonstrating his approval of Jesus' work of living a perfect life, suffering and dying for our sins. He was affirming that Jesus' work on our behalf was complete. The penalty for sin was paid. The resurrection means peace for us, the resurrection is confirmation. The Father is pleased. Was pleased with Jesus' life and death. It means, it means we know he was resurrected. That means the Father is happy with Jesus' work on my behalf. The achievements of the resurrection are astounding for us. He didn't need to remain dead any longer. Jesus had earned for us a new future a new future life that is like his own. We can now live in resurrection life. That is what the early church understood. The Bible says that our spirits have already been made alive with the new resurrection power. Because of the resurrection, we can consider ourselves dead to sin. We so often, we can feel, I can't help it. I don't like doing this thing that I do, but I can't help it. It's like I'm in chains. I can't stop it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to lose my temper like that. I don't want to speak like that. I don't want to look at those things. But, but when I, it comes to that moment, I just can't help it. I'm in bondage. Well, the Bible says the resurrection ended that. It means you don't have to live in that lie. It says, consider yourselves dead to sin. It doesn't say you will be perfect. It doesn't say you will never sin again. But it says that sin will no longer have dominion over you. You are able to say no to temptation. When you were previously without the resurrection, without Christ, without his salvation, you were unable. There's no power for you to say no to temptation. You were a slave to sin and now you're a slave in Christ's resurrection to righteousness. The disciples were confident that this had been accomplished. And also, as Paul declared to the Corinthians, he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise you with Jesus and bring you into his presence. As Jesus rose from death, he confirmed our resurrection life here and now, but also gave us a future hope of glory. That we know there's one that's gone ahead of us, that's made a way for us. How would you know that new nations had been discovered back when we were sailing to other continents and discovering nations if no one ever came back? If no one ever returned, who knows what's out there? But when they came back and said, we found, we know. Jesus is one who came back. He crossed the divide. He went into death and he defeated and he came back triumphant. We know we have a future hope the other side of death. We know that one has gone, has been victorious and has come back and given us that victory. We have a hope of future with Christ. Discipleship, sorry, disciples of Jesus living in light of the resurrection, we can now be confident about our own resurrection. And therefore we can be happy to let our old selves be crucified with him. There is no resurrection without death. How can you resurrect a new life if you never died, spiritually and physically. One day physically, now spiritually, there's a dying. And Jesus said, you can't, uh, those who, who keep their lives will lose it. But those who lay their lives down for my sake, those who are willing to die to themselves, those who are willing to say, I can't Do this on my own. I am filthy. I am full of sin. I need salvation. They lay their lives down and he will resurrect them in his resurrection. Disciples of Jesus find a humility to know, yeah, I know that I need him. But I also know a dignity of, and he has raised me up. And he has seated me with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There must be application to the resurrection. That's the third point here the application of the resurrection. There are, um, uh, there are implications, what Jesus has accomplished, but we have something of a responsibility on ourselves to apply the truth, to celebrate it, to walk in the goodness of it. We had a, uh, a um, prophetic word over us a few years ago that Len, one of the elders, had about learning to celebrate as a community. And there's nothing greater to celebrate than I've been made alive in Christ Jesus. We could have lost 4-0 last night. doesn't matter. I've been made alive in Jesus. (laughs) We can celebrate whether things are good or whether things are difficult. Because we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. We must be those who know how to apply the resurrection. That's why we sing and shout. That's why we dance. Because we have the victory in Christ says this, uh, Tim Keller, who's an author, uh, says this on the screen, I think, if Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything, he said. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Has it changed things in your life? Do you just come along to church on Sunday for some nice moral teaching or to see some nice people? Or are you convinced that there was... God came in human flesh. He died and he rose again and destroyed sin and death. And you can stand in the goodness of it. Something has happened that changes everything. And we have the joy of knowing that God has revealed it to us. I want to read you a little little, uh, story from the New York Times. Amazing story. It says this. In 1974, it was discovered that Hiru Onoda, an Imperial Japanese Army officer had remained at his jungle post on an island in the Philippines for 29 years, refusing to believe that World War II was over. Caught in a time warp, Mr. Onoda, a second lieutenant, was one of the war's last holdouts, a soldier who survived on bananas and coconuts and sometimes killed villagers he assumed were enemies. He finally went home to the lotus land of paper and wood, which turned out to be a futuristic world of skyscrapers, television, jet planes, pollution, atomic destruction. Lieutenant Onoda, an intelligence officer trained in guerrilla tactics, and three enlisted men with him found leaflets proclaiming the war's end, but they believed they were enemy propaganda. They built bamboo huts, pilfered rice, and other food from the village, And killed cows for meat. They were tormented by tropical heat, rats and mosquitoes. And they patched their uniforms and kept their rifles in working order. Considering themselves to be at war, they evaded American and Filipino search parties. And attacked islanders they took to be enemy guerrillas. About 30 inhabitants were killed in skirmishes with the Japanese over the years. That's an incredible story, isn't it? Incredibly sad, really. Really? To know that these men were under the illusion that the war was still on. That victory hadn't been accomplished. That nothing had changed. That they were still having to fight things which weren't of any threat to them anymore. They were still living ready for action. Cleaning their guns. Ready to hurt. Ready to take control. In our passage, we see something, of, something interesting going on in the context Uh, of this reality-shattering and history-changing moment, sadly, we see that all of Jesus' disciples, all of his closest followers, found it really hard to believe. They struggled to believe that it had happened, didn't they? The the angels had to speak to them, and then when the women believed, they went and told the disciples, and they said, no, this is an idle tale. You're, You're talking nonsense. It's... It's easy to live as if it hasn't happened. To to, to not apply the truth if you haven't been convinced of it. And in this particular instance, which is also helpful for us, they needed to be reminded of what had been said. If you look in the text, they needed to be reminded of what Jesus had said. If you remember what the the, uh, angels said. The presenting sorrow that they felt, the fear, the confusion... It had become so big to them that they'd let go of what Jesus had already told them about his death and resurrection. And as one author says, it's not sufficiently considered how much more we need recollection than information. How important it is that we need to be reminded of things sometimes. Rather than, I need new information. I I, I live in the moment. I need to know what's going on now. Are we standing firm on things that we are building on, that we know is true? Or are we just forgetting those oh that's yesterday now today's today or are we saying no i need to be reminded of what god has said of what is true of what i'm building my life upon so do you stand on what you have already claimed to accept as true if you're a christian here you said yeah i believe in a killed and resurrected jesus do you stand on that do you stand sufficiently on that do you do you accept it as true daily do you remember it daily Or does it just depend on how you're feeling in the day? Does it depend on what kind of week you've had to whether you feel like you're going to hold on to that? We remember what is important to us. I remember my brother saying when he was a a teacher, when the kids would come into school, say, I forgot my homework. He would say, we didn't forget to get dressed, did you? We remember what's important to us. It wasn't important to them. Well, this is of crucial importance to us. As Christians, it is crucial that we stand and hold on to and build our lives upon the truth of a resurrected Savior who has defeated sin and death. We must stand in that. And I feel God's heart for you is, don't be robbed of it. Don't be so easily robbed of it. Don't let it be so easily taken away from you. Eventually, these disciples, they did apply it. And as I said earlier, they applied it to the point of outrageous peace. It's really happened. He's he's defeated sin and death. He's given us resurrection life. Our Savior, he'll look after us. He's, He's for us. He's won. And they had outrageous peace, outrageous joy, outrageous generosity towards each other. We're not holding on to our lives. He's won for us. Outrageous courage, even to death. Because they had confidence in the resurrection that Jesus had purchased for them. As I was uh, preparing this, I was thinking of the obvious passage of resurrection, which is, is in John, where, John, where Jesus uh, goes to his friend's grave, who has just died. And he goes to Lazarus' his grave, and the sisters are saying, if you got here sooner. And the shortest verse that we know, Jesus wept. He hated he found. He hated sin and death. He hated the grip of death on mankind. And the word that he used for him, him weeping, is apparently like a horse snorting. It's kind of a rage, anger cry. He was was not okay with this. And he got to the grave and in his authority, he got there and said, Lazarus, come out. And the God of resurrection, that Jesus in this same passage said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection and life. He said, come out to Lazarus. And Lazarus walked out of the grave. And he came forth from death into new life again. And I feel like, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I feel that there are people here who, who God has said to you, come out. Maybe he said, come out 20 years ago. Maybe he said, come out of death 5 years ago and there are things in your life you know I'm still actually in the grave. I go back to the grave when it comes to that issue. When it comes to my anger, when it comes to back, I go back to death. I choose death. And I feel today God wants to say to some of you it's enough. I've purchased new life for you. I've purchased resurrection life for you. Come out of death. Come out, stand free, liberated. The spirit of the sovereign lord is upon me to Set the captives free. He wants to set captives free. And there may be many of us who we find, when it comes to this issue, I I give in every time. And God is saying, well, I've won the victory, so you don't have to. You don't have to. There's a battle raging for your allegiance. Fight. Come out of death. I notice in the story, when Lazarus comes out... Jesus says to his friends, unbind him and let him go. And that's a wonderful picture of how we stand together. How we stand as church brothers and sisters. When you see somebody who's choosing death. And as it says in Psalm 18, David says, the cords of death encompass me. Even wrapped up in things, you think, there's there's liberation for you. There's liberty for you. There's freedom. And I see you choosing these things that hurt you. I see you choosing things that hurt other people. You're wrapped up. Jesus says to their friends, unbind him. I notice in Jesus' tomb, it, it, it says the thing that was bound, binding him up was just left nice and folded up. He was free. He came out so that we could be free. There may be opportunities for us to grow in this and think no, we must unbind each other when we see each other in, in sin. We're much better at talking to, to each other about suffering. The Bible does say to talk about sin with each other as well because it's freedom to be found. He's defeated that. We don't need to be bound to it anymore. Colossians 3.1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. There's application for us of the resurrection. Let's move into that freedom because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And Galatians 5 1 is, uh, is for freedom's sake that you've been set free. So don't walk back. You know, the Israelites in the wilderness where they say, I oh, want to go back to Egypt. At least we, I mean, they want to go back to slavery, they want to go back to death because there they weren't in this place of having to have faith every day and having to depend on God every day. I want to go back to my comfort, but they would have been going back to death. And we can do that sometimes. And Galatians, Paul is saying, it's for freedom's sake you've been set free. Be free. Don't be bound any longer. Just as we wrap up here, I I noticed verse 5, and it just jumped out at me, whether the the angels say to them, to these women, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? You're coming to find life. You're coming to find Jesus, the living one, but you're looking where death resides. You're looking where there is no life. Now, they didn't know that, but it's, it's, I think it's, there's profundity in this, that we still do this. We go to things that only bring death. We go to things that we think, that will make me feel a bit better for a moment. I'll feel a buzz. i feel a little bit valuable. I feel like, you know, I'm loved. I'll get a kick out of this. It'll give me a bit of life. And yet, you're seeking life among the dead. It's been attributed to G.K. Chesterton, but I don't think it's a quote by him, apparently. that that Someone said (laughs) um, that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. That we, we go after things. We think there's life there. And, and Jesus says, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am what you're looking for. And so I feel there are some today that there's application here. There's application to come forth, as Jesus said to Lazarus. Come forth, out of this grave come forth out of death maybe it's a habitual sin maybe it's a pornographic problem or or gambling or drinking it's something that you know I'm in the grip of this and I've been in the grip of it for years and today is the day where you can say I want to draw a line I'm going to walk out I'm going to make a choice I think there's some here that are holding on to hurts and pains from decades ago Perhaps a parent really betrayed you or didn't treat you well or a friend betrayed you. Something that hurt you years ago and you know you said, yeah, I forgive, I moved on. But there's something that resides inside of you that you just think, I can't really move on. But you need to reckon on Jesus' death and resurrection for that sin. He does feel for you. He hated it when he saw Lazarus. He hates sin and death. He doesn't say, oh, get on with it. Move on. No, he says, I hate that that happened, but I have won the victory. So you can walk forwards. So you can come out of the grave. I don't want you to live under that anymore. There may be attitudes of victimization. People here who you just feel sorry for yourself all the time. You think you're always the victim. And, 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 and therefore, you're not standing in victory. You know, you're like... Uh, like Rocky at the top of the steps. All the way at the top of the steps. Victory. He's, at the, he's the victorious one. That's not happening if you're always the victim. You're at the bottom of the steps sitting down. No, Jesus is saying, come on. You're the victor in him. Perhaps there's things of anger and fear. People who just know I'm caught up in stuff that I think I, I'm in the grip of this. And Jesus would want to remind us today, I have done the work. I've done what needs to be done so that you can walk out of this. Death is defeated sin is defeated come out as we said about david uh, in psalm 18 he said the cords of death encompassed him he said i called upon the lord i called upon the lord see what i don't want you to think today is okay i've got to try myself to somehow punch through this sin and this difficulty No, i am saying jesus has done the work so don't think it's impossible He does expect us to stand in victory, to walk in victory. But call upon the Lord. Call upon the Lord. And I love Psalm 18. I think I I got into it like at Christmas time. It's just so helpful because God comes down and it uses the language of like a dragon. His nose, nostrils, snorting out smoke and fire was coming from his mouth. It's like he's an angry papa bear when his son is going, help and he's like smashing stuff out the way. I'm getting to you. That's what Jesus was for us. I'm smashing everything out the way. I'm going to rescue you. So we, we stand in victory, but we also need to recognize, I call upon the Lord. I need your help with this. And he brings recovery. And actually, again, Psalm 18, I'm getting into the different preach now. But Psalm 18, Psalm 18 gets to this point where God doesn't just get David out of trouble. He gives him like big muscles. Gives them big weapons. It says at one point, he showed me my enemy's necks. It's a mass like God said. Not only am I going to get you safe and protected, I'm going to give you a sword and basically get them to bend over so you can just swipe the heads off. I'm, I'm making you victorious. And you may think, but I can't. I don't seem to be able to defeat that sin. I don't seem to be able to get over it. It's defeated. It has been defeated in Christ. Now ask God, God help me to stand with a sword and chop its head off. I believe he has got victory and liberation for us today. So we just stand? Father God, we, we, we need help with this, Lord. Some of us have been battling the same things for decades. And it's like I don't see a way out. It's like Tom said earlier, I just feel like I'm going to throw the towel in. And we need your help, Father. We need you, Holy Spirit, to help us to be people of faith. You have done it. You have won the victory. Lord, our future is secure. We cannot be taken out of your hands. The Bible says it. And often in this life, we still think, I'm hopeless. We're not, Lord. We're not. And too long, your people have been cowering like worms. When you say, Mighty, warrior, victorious. That's what he says over you today, mighty. That's what he says over to you today, victorious. Man, woman of God. Son, daughter. Stand in the goodness of that. Stand in the goodness of that. It's just, if you know you want to say today, God, I want to walk out. I hear your voice today saying, come forth. And I want to come forth, just, just respond in your heart. Feel free to come and talk to, to any of the people you've seen talking at the front we will pray with you, but you know I'm saying, you're, you want to settle this in your heart. God, I want to come forth. I hear you saying, "Come out." And you may need friends to unwrap you and unbind you. There's victory for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.